In a moment, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, if you want to, uh, to get there. Um, before I do, I do want to share with you that um, as, as we've, through the weeks, have been collecting the hurricane supplies um, for Duet and for the Keys and for all of the, the places that were more devastated by storms than we were, uh, I had shared, I think I'd shared last week, it's always hard to remember what I've said in what service, that at the time we were not receiving any more donations because we had so many we were still trying to find places to distribute. Uh, then this week, it was, it was pretty neat. Um, as we had these, uh, these supplies, we became aware that Manatee School for the Arts, where Tony teaches and, and some of our students attend, um, they were collect- they had some folks affiliated with MSA that had connections in Puerto Rico, and they were collecting supplies to send directly to Puerto Rico. So yesterday, Tony and I loaded up both our vehicles, and, and uh, Miss Ethel helped us. We loaded up both our vehicles and took the, the supplies that we still had, and we took them there. And um, they were applauding. They were excited when we pulled in. They didn't even see how full the vehicles were with the stuff. So they were really, really excited for that. And I share that with you because I want you to know that we honor those donations that so many of you brought in. We have made sure everything donated from toothbrushes and, and clothes and non-perishables and cleaning supplies and, and water and, and, you know, everything in between. Everything you donated has been d- delivered someplace where it's gotten to people who are affected by the storms and in need. So, so thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, right now, we're not collecting any more. Yeah, go ahead. You can apply that. Um, As we don't have regular distribution points at this time, uh, we're not collecting anymore, but as opportunities come, we'll, we'll keep you informed and let you know. So before we, get to, uh, before we get to the scripture this morning, here's how I started framing my thinking this week. Uh, Tony and I, as we are uh, leading now, we started on Wednesday the, the marriage um, study. And so a lot of our conversations and thinking um, has been kind of framed around that class and some of the things that we're talking about and, and as we explore our own marriage and relationship. And I started to think about the moments that reveal and test a marriage. Moments that reveal a lot about and test a marriage. And I, I'm specifically talking about marriages now, not dating. Because when you're dating, you're still trying really hard. And... Um, <laughs> And, and you're catching a little bit. I'm talking about once you've gotten comfortable in the relationship. These are things that I think tell a lot about the kind of relationship you have. The first one is this. What are you two doing over here? That, the, you want to come share? Yeah, <laughs> I hit close to home, didn't it? He's, he said that dating part was really real. Um, we'll set up appointments after worship. Um, for all of us. Um, so anyway, so, so here's, here's what I was thinking. These are the moments that reveal. For instance, that moment when you're in the car and you look lovingly at your spouse and you utter these words, what do you want to eat? <laughs> See? You laugh because you know. That is a major, in some of our relationships, that is a major process. Now, some of you may be the exception to this rule, but let me, let me explain how Tony and I do this. We do it by process of elimination. There is never a direct answer. We have to start eliminating the things. This is what I do. This is my manipulation. I, uh, I, I really like 
um, Thai food, Pad Thai specifically. That's a, that's a favorite for me. Uh, that was a favorite for Ryan, which was really good when he was still here before we went away to school because we could do that together because the women in my household do not like Pad Thai at all. Tony doesn't. So the reason I'm sharing this with you is this is how I do this. We'll go, what do you want to eat? She's like, what do you want? And I will say, well, I'd like some Thai food. And which she will say, well, I don't like Thai food. And then I can say, well, I chose, now you pick. You know, you've shot down mine, now it's up to you, the burden is on you to pick. So, so that is a, re- a revealer about a relationship, I, I think. How, how's your relationship? The other is this, what movie do you want to see? <laughs> we groan now, don't we? <laughs> that one will tell a lot about how, how, what kind of page or, or how you negotiate. And here's the third, and there's more than three, but this is the third. The third is this, when you're on the cereal aisle at Publix and you have to pick one box not that you have to pick but that you have to pick one box of cereal now now this I, I use this because this is again this is me being personal this is every Sunday for us we are we have a pattern a lot of you have Sunday patterns but but uh, this is the pattern in our, for our family uh, after the the next service right here generally We'll start the conversation, and we will cover these bases that we just, and it will start with this, what are we doing for lunch? And we'll start to negotiate through it, because we do lunch after church. A lot of you do, too. I know a lot of you go out and you have lunch. So we do lunch on Sunday afternoons after church, and we go home, and that means dinner is a box of cereal. That's, that's what we do. So we have to figure out every week, usually the worst kind of cereal, Fruity Pebbles, you know. Um, Lucky Charms, exactly, you know, the stuff. But, but, but so that's why I was thinking about this, because you go to a cereal aisle, you know this. I mean, there, it's front to back. I mean, it's the whole, the whole side of the store is, is cereal. And it's interesting, if, if you think about it in ways that we never really think about it, 100 years ago, cereal was a very simple thing. It was porridge. Was oatmeal. It was some sort of an oat or a wheat or a rice boiled, bland. That's how you ate cereal. There was not much of a selection. It was those two little, it was that little tiny shelf at the far left of Publix where they have those kind of cereals or, or things you can choose from that nobody ever picks. Some people do. I'm going to offend somebody. Somebody's going to come up to me. I pick that stuff. Okay. But starting with John Harvey Kellogg and others who figured out that you could take wheat or you could take rice or you could take corn and you could bake it and it would shrivel into flakes started the birth of of cold cereals. And now we've elevated it to an art form. It's amazing how creative human beings can be when they think about how to get us to buy a very simple foundational staple. I mean, it's all corn, it's all rice, it's all wheat, or it's granola. It's one of those basic ingredients, but we dress it up in every way possible and make it as unhealthy as we can, too, with marshmallows and dried fruit and uh, raisins and sugar stuff. And, I mean, just, just everything that we can do to dress it up, to make it interesting, to, to get us to buy it. But at its foundation, it's still built on the same, the same basic ingredients, just elevated. Now, in a, a, a weird way, let me use that to frame our thinking as we turn to Scripture. Because we're in... Exodus 20 this morning, these 17 verses. And what I can say, I think, 
confidently is everybody's heard these verses. If you haven't peeked ahead, everybody in here, whether this is your first time in church ever in your life, you've heard these verses because it's the Ten Commandments. And they, uh, at some point in your life, you've come across these, and most of you have heard it read here. So before we get into it, let's, let's read the Scripture. Let's hear again God's Word spoken to the people through, through Moses. And this is what we read, Exodus 20, beginning at verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above, or the earth, beneath, nor the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has is given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, give us ears to hear these words new, that they would speak to us, that your expectation would challenge us to even greater faithfulness, and that in all things we would seek to be obedient. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. So the Ten Commandments, interestingly enough, become this ideal for us, this standard of, of expectations and, and behavior, this, this goal for, for the way that we are to live. There, there's two sides to it, and we'll get to that. There's the relationship with God, but, but then there's these familiar commandments to the way that we interact with each other, the expectations that we have for each other. And it is, it is interesting that we kind of idealize them. They're, they're put on the, the, the steps of courthouses, and they're in, in courtrooms, and, and they're listed all over the place as this high standard of, of human behavior. Yet I was rereading again this week a book that I've had on my shelf for many years. It's called An Unstoppable Force. It's by Erwin McManus, one of my favorite preachers and, and writers. And he talks about the Ten Commandments. And he frames them in a way I'd never thought about before. And it is this, that the Ten Commandments, specifically the commandments about the way that we interact with each other, really are the bare minimum of expectation and behavior. 
They're the bare minimum of what it means to be human. Basically, they're the threshold that keeps us one step above barbarian. And then when you think about it, when you really think about it, and, and, and frame it in your own voice, frame it in your own, um, the way you communicate, but, but the commandments, what does God say to us? Well, he says, hey, guys, basically, um, listen, it would be really good if you wouldn't kill each other. Yeah, that, that'd be nice. Don't, don't kill each other. Oh, and, and you know what? Don't take somebody else's stuff. You know, if it belongs to them, let them keep it. Don't, and, and talking about taking, you know, if, if, you're, if you're married, how about you kind of stay with your husband or wife and let that other husband and wife stay with their person? Let's, let's not kind of take, you know, and, and, and covet what other people have and, or has. And, and, you know, if, if they have it, let them have it. And if you have it, let you have it. But, but try to kind of behave respectfully toward each other. I mean, think about it. These are not lofty goals. You know, this, this is not the, the highest attainment of, of um, human behavior that we're talking about. This is God calling his people to be his people, forming a nation and saying, here's, here's the, the basic expectation that I have for you. But I think we have every right to sit there and say, gosh, Lord, did we really need to hear this? Now, the truth is we do. Because we, we see that. But, but you know, parents, you ever or, or ask your, your teenager to do something and get the eye roll? And get the, I know, Dad. You know, you, you got that? I know, Dad. I know, you've asked me, I got that down. You know, ask them to do the basics of like, hey, kid, before you go to bed tonight, would you like brush your teeth? You know, simple stuff that, that you know they know to do. Or, or does anybody need to tell you to do it? In the morning when you wake up or at night, whatever your pattern, does somebody need to tell you, hey, it'd be really nice if you'd bathe, you know? It'd be good to the people around you if at some point today you used a little soap. Um, I'm talking about just basic behaviors. When you walk out of the house, somebody shouldn't have to remind you to put shoes on, you know, things like that. And I think in many ways, that's what the Ten Commandments ought to be for us. And they ought to be the kind of things that we're naturally inclined to do anyway. The behavior that really doesn't have to be deeply instilled in us because it's just the minimum level of, of human decency. But yet we know over and over as a people, and I'm talking about a community, that we fail to live up to that. And I want you to hear what McManus would later write about this. I want to quote from him directly. This is what he says, talking about the Ten Commandments. He says, anything below... These standards is choosing to live like an animal, a barbarian. The Ten Commandments don't call us to the extraordinary spiritual life. They call us to stop dehumanizing one another. I want you to hear that. They call us to stop dehumanizing one another. The law is the minimum of what it means to be human. The reason the law condemns us isn't because of our inability to live up to an extraordinary measure. We couldn't even pass the test with a D. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, God was establishing a nation for himself. God was giving them the tools to form an ethos that through honoring him would result in the nurturing and elevation of the human spirit. He was giving in his ethos when, 
honored. When, if you will, when it becomes the starting point, the foundation would be an elevation of the human spirit. God wasn't giving us an extraordinary goal. God was giving us a bare minimum. He was giving us a starting point so that we could begin to elevate what it means to be the people of God. And I think the challenge for us is to not see the Ten Commandments as the goal, but to see it as the launching pad. To to see it as the porridge or the oatmeal or the gruel in which our creativity and our faithfulness takes it to another level and begins to do so much more because God has called us into relationships that honor him and honor one another. I mean, that, that's the thing with, with the Ten Commandments. There's, it's a twofold nature. It's, the first four talk about our relationship with God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship graven images or false gods. You shall not dishonor the name And you shall honor the Sabbath and keep it holy and have that day of rest and worship. And when you have a right relationship with God, then you live in right relationship with others. And it starts with respecting them and honoring them. But Jesus calls us to go even higher and and to take it even further. The bar is just, I mean, that's just too easy to clear. Years ago, I, I, I took a job, long before I was here, and um, when I first started working, I started getting people that were coming, and they were complimenting me on doing such a great job, which is a nice thing to hear, except I really hadn't done anything. Seriously, I hadn't done anything, so I was wondering early on why I was getting such praise, and this is why they were complimenting me. Because I was showing up. I was just there. I mean, that's all I was. They would drive by the place I worked, and they would see my car in the parking lot. And they would go, oh, you're doing such a great job. It's so good to see you here. And what I learned was the person I followed was never there. The person, part of the reason I was now there was, was he had never been. And so he wasn't, it wasn't that I was doing an extraordinary job. It wasn't that I was having such powerful impact. I was just meeting what was a bare minimum. I was showing up. And, and all of a sudden, it was, man, you're doing a great job. Now, I had to filter that because I wasn't. That wasn't the job. I needed to be more faithful. I had to not allow that to become my standard because I could have. I could have just said, well, you know what? I'm doing more than he did. I'm good. I'm good. But that wasn't the standard. That wasn't what I was called to do. That wasn't the job. Job was to, to take it to the next level, to pour my heart and soul into it and give it the very best that I had. I think, brothers and sisters, what we see is that, that God calls us to, to balance, to balance our, our relationships, our relationship with him and our relationships with others, but to, to, to rise above. You know, I've, I've wrestled so much this week, as I know many of us have, with how, how does Las Vegas happen? How does that happen? What happens that somebody is so filled with evil and hate, and I don't know any other way to say it, that they could indiscriminately and randomly take lives like that, 58 lives, 500 injured. I mean, it's, it's beyond the capacity for most of us or all of us to begin to understand. And, and the sad part is 
It's the same question we asked after 9-11. It's the same question we asked after Sandy Hook. It's the same question we asked after Columbine. It's the same question we asked after Charleston. Over and over, we find ourselves asking these questions. And I, and I believe, and maybe an overly simplistic level, it's because there are those who sink below these standards that dehumanize. You cannot kill those who you value. But when life becomes so devalued, for whatever brokenness is happening inside, when, when the other has no value and no worth, then it becomes possible for you to destroy. We're called not obviously to devalue, but not even to just value, but to elevate. To take these commands, this call to respect each other, because that's really what the commandments are, to respect each other. See, but respect isn't the stopping point, because Jesus then calls us to take it a step higher. And in Matthew 22, And in Luke 10 and in Mark 12, you can find this encounter. The Pharisees ask Jesus, what's the greatest command? They're saying these 10 commands, and really it's not even just 10, because by this point there were 613 laws. Because the religious leaders realized we needed to specify, or they felt they needed to specify. You know, we got 10, but we need to kind of define this tighter. So 613 laws. That Jesus, what's the greatest? And if you remember the verse, what's he say? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. He's speaking to that relationship that is outlined in the first four verses, or the first four commands. Love the Lord your God. Be in that right relationship. But then he says this, and the second is this. Because he's got a part A and a part B to this answer. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, notice he didn't say respect your neighbor. He didn't say be nice to your neighbor. He says love your neighbor. I believe what Jesus is doing is he's taking the standard and he's raising it. He said, as you love God, so love others. It's not a bare minimum command. This is an elevated command. Let's go higher here. And we know without getting too deep into it, who Jesus defines as your neighbor. Just in case you don't, that's everybody. There's nobody outside that circle. Love your neighbor. Take it to the next level. See, I think our challenge for us, because I wrestle with what do we do in the face of this kind of evil? And, and there's a lot of discussion to be had, and I'm not going to stand up here because there's the macro level of, of policy and, and politics and, and laws, and, and those are worthy discussions, and they need to be had. And we better be asking ourselves, how do we try to protect the you know, innocents? We'll never do, I know, I know that we'll never be 100% successful at it, but heaven help us when we stop trying. But then I begin to look at it at a micro level. What do you want of me, God? What do you want of me? And I, I went, I shared this morning a prayer in the first service at prayer time. But, but I want to, to kind of close with it in this service. Because it speaks to what we are called to as the church and in our individual walk with God and walk with others. What is the difference that we can make? And this prayer is familiar to many of you because it's not mine. It's the, the prayer of St. Francis. But I believe it takes the minimum 
and it elevates it, and it becomes a challenge for us. And so hear these words. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. You know, when we do this every week, we come to the table. And we celebrate this meal, and you hear the words of, of blessing. Our challenge for us is to never take lightly the celebration of what Jesus did. Because, see, Jesus' life was a testimony not to the bare minimum, but to extraordinary maximum giving and love beyond our comprehension. It's a life willingly laid down. It's the greatest example of love that I know. That's what we celebrate here. And Jesus calls us to that. And that becomes our challenge and our commission. So we remember that on the night in which he was broken for us, that he was broken for us, that he gave his life for us on the night of his greatest act of love. Jesus took bread and he gave thanks to God and he broke it. He said, this is my body. It's broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks to God. And he gave it to them and said, this is my blood of a new covenant. It is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And so let us, let us remember why we remember. It's not just to celebrate what Christ did, but to remember that we're called to do, to, to receive his love and to live it. And so this becomes an active meal. What Christ has given to us, what Christ desires to do through us. Friends, let us pray. Gracious Lord, bless these gifts for us of bread and juice. That for us, they would be the body and blood of Christ. That we would remember that we are forgiven through the blood of Christ, through his sacrifice, through his love, through the great example of your unending reach for us. And then we're called to be that body of Christ. We are called to be a living witness of your love. We're called to, to raise the bar and to set the example and to sow seeds of forgiveness and grace and mercy. Lord, help us to do that every day, always, until the day comes we enter your kingdom and forever this meal is shared at your heavenly banquet table. All 
glory and honor is yours. As you work through your church, unite us in service, unite us in ministry, and fill us with your love that would overflow from each of us. This is our prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. And let the people of God say, amen.